Welcome in to Two for One Drafts, PFF's NFL Drafts and Rookies podcast. Ready to rock and roll with my guy, Mike Renner, on the defensive interior class overview for the 2021 NFL Draft. Marvin Wilson, Christian Barmore, Levi Omuzurike of Washington, a lot of good names there. Guys that we were talking about a ton in 2019, you know, in the games leading up to that. I remember Marvin Wilson had a handful of games where we're like, man, if this guy comes out, he's he's pretty special up front. We also interviewed former Giants, Jets, uh, Lions defensive tackle Damon Harrison, currently an NFL free agent. That will be playing at the back end of this podcast. Mike, to start, what were some of your initial reactions to that interview? I thought it was kind of crazy what he was saying about COVID. Yeah, he's legitimately concerned about his health and the health of his family. And I don't blame him. I just, I'd never really heard someone articulate it quite the way he did in terms of saying, if I don't feel like I'm going to be protected by the NFL, that I will not be playing this upcoming season. Like he wants to play. He's sitting out because of, you know, the, the whole hoopla surrounding it because the uncertainty surrounding it, uh, but just hasn't uh, been able to make that decision yet because he's worried. And I, I think, I think a lot of guys are, but to hear him actually say that was very interesting. Oh yeah. It was massive. I mean, to kind of sum up what he said, and I encourage you to listen, because he also said some other stuff as well, highlighted Alex Mack, Travis Frederick is some of the best offensive linemen he's ever gone against. Gave some praise to, I think it was uh, Michael Pierce talking about some of the bigger, fatter defensive tackles in the NFL guys that can still get it done as big dudes at nose tackle. That was great as well. But to sum up what he said about COVID is really the uncertainty and the concern surrounding the NFL's plan to treat COVID this upcoming season, especially because he just had uh, twins, I believe, children coming up. And they, uh, he said that he spoke to that, them having respiratory issues. He doesn't want to put his family in harm's way with the likelihood that he gets COVID playing in the NFL this year. Like, that's crazy. He had he told us he has offers from NFL teams right now that he's uh, he's a free agent by choice because he's still concerned with COVID and does not, you know, has to you know value his family first. It's very similar to what, uh, to kind of make a reference to the NBA, what um, Avery Bradley of the Lakers is choosing to do, you know, or is it Avery Bradley? I don't know basketball that well, but there's a player on the Lakers. There's a, there's a player on the Lakers. who apparently Ma- magic Johnson tweeted out like this, like big tweet about like he matters to the team or whatever the hell it was, but like he's choosing to not participate in the bubble NBA season because he's prioritizing his family because he does not want to, you know, contract the virus and then bring it to his family. So I think you could see some of that, not just with guys that are current free agents like Damon Harrison, but I would not be surprised if there are some NFL players, you know, currently concerned with the uncertainty of COVID and considering you know, not participating in this upcoming season. I don't think that there's there's a non-zero percent chance that there are a handful of guys thinking that. I, I will say I, I don't blame you if you think like my going to put my family first. I don't want to be you know if they are separating them and not allowing them to go to the family. I'm not going to blame anyone who does that. But at the same time, I think if if there are going to be a handful of guys that sit out, I'm not going to cancel the whole NFL season just because no. some of these guys have concerns. Some guys still want to make a living. Some guys still want this paycheck and aren't concerned, don't have a family, aren't concerned about themselves contracting coronavirus or whatnot and would still want an NFL season to happen. So I do think that just because there are these guys who are concerned doesn't mean, hey, let's scrap the whole thing altogether. No, not at all. And I think yeah. guys that are concerned – I think there's that obviously that step where you quarantine yourself from your family. You know, you 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 do not like go back home and you 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 work in a remote location close to the stadium yeah. or whatever it may be. But I mean, David Harrison just had kids. You know, he just had you know two daughters, I believe is what he yeah. said. And like you don't like, do you want to be missing that to play in a COVID bubble in the NFL? I don't know. It's definitely 
interesting here to discuss that. So I encourage everyone at the back end of this podcast to listen to that. It's a lot of good nuggets from Damon Harrison, a PFF legend. I call him the PFF legend ear, a smile, grin, uh, a grin ear to ear from Damon Harrison. Definitely a PFF legend. All right, let's jump into this upcoming 2021 NFL draft class and start with Marvin Wilson, the Florida State defensive tackle. I think he was the highest graded defensive tackle in all of college football this past year, highest graded pass rusher this past season. But I'm hearing that maybe he's not the prospect, you know, not on the same tier prospect as um, some of the other guys from this previous class, not on Quinn Williams tier or some of the other prospects. Where are you right now with Marvin Wilson? So he's the highest graded returning defensive tackle. That's right. That's right. Not the last year it was Jordan Phillips, the Missouri defense tackle, but Marvin Wilson, Florida State defense tackle, highest graded returner. Had a 90.0 grade as a sophomore back in 2018, 90.7 this past season. Kind of tapered off down the stretch, but then he had a hand injury, missed the last few games. Uh, I think that sort of contributed to him returning to school. I'm not sure he was a lock. He wasn't going to go ahead of John Kimmel, was not going to go ahead of Derek Brown. I'm not sure he was a lock to go in the first round. I think he would have probably ended up sneaking into the probably the 20s somewhere uh, if he did declare this past year, but ends up coming back. And the reason being why he wasn't a lock to go top 15 when Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw you know, did end up going there is because of his athleticism. He is not a great athlete. Now, Derek Brown wasn't either, but Derek Brown was enormous. Derek Brown's like 330 almost. Marvin Wilson's probably only in the 315, 320 range. Just not quite as powerful, but that is how he went. He is a super powerful dude, very violent hands, already has a number of pass rushing moves. And what I like about him more than Derek Brown as a pass rusher was that you already saw Marvin Wilson doing it as a true sophomore, doing it now as a true junior, and his ability to combo moves. If he doesn't win right away with his hand yes. placement or didn't doesn't get you right off the snap, he could throw in a spin at you. He could throw in something else at you to win later. And I thought you saw that consistently with Wilson, whereas you didn't see that as consistently with a guy like Derek Brown. Now, Derek Brown's a different animal in terms of what he could do physically, but he was also older. That might be Marvin Wilson this year. He might be the most powerful dude in college football this upcoming season. That's a very real possibility. So for us right now, uh, he's still DT1. I still would firmly put him in the first round conversation, top 15, top 20 sort of pick. I mean, what I was impressed with Marvin Wilson is that you did see with some level of consistency him winning early in the snap. And when you can see that from guys of his size, of his caliber, winning as a pass rusher early in the snap, early in the play, early in the snap makes no fucking sense. Early in the play... Makes makes a ton of sense. You know, like, yeah. I mean, er, winning early in the play as a pass rusher, specifically when you're playing interior defensive line, playing defensive tackle, winning with your hands like Marvin Wilson has done, like you see all up and down that Virginia game, that is the type of pass rusher you want on the inside. And we talked to the talked to Damon, you know, big snacks about this, about how the NFL is coveting these guys that can win as pass rushers early in the down. Like that is what's really important. He knows that it's not, you know, the big Damon Harrison nose tackle types are going away, but they're becoming less frequent because it's more important to have guys that can win as interior pass rushers. And I think Marvin Wilson can bring that to the NFL to shine light on kind of how he graded this past year, a 90.7 overall grade and 90.9 PFF pass rusher grade. And in the year prior, 90.0 overall grade and an 81.3 PFF pass rushing grade. So he's done it for a couple of years now at a very young age, came back to school. I think if the college football season happens, he might just be the most dominant defensive tackle this upcoming year as well. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Like I said, I think he can take his game to another level even this past season after the jump we saw from sophomore to junior year. And I think that's why he came back. Like he says, you know, he wants to win at FCU and whatnot, but I think he wants to push his stock similar to what Derek Brown did. Derek Brown was a fringe first rounder if he came out in the 2019 draft, pushed all the way to the top 10. 
Marvin Wilson has a similarly dominant year, I think you could see a similar rise from him. I also got jump into our next guy here. This guy also could be the freaking best defensive tackle from a high, yeah. from a great perspective in 2020. It's Christian Barmore of Alabama, six foot five, 310 pounds. This past year only played 269 total snaps. His first year playing at all for Alabama, um, only 269 snaps and 87.8 overall grade and 88.1 pass rushing grade. Talk about a guy that can win early in the down. Very impressive player, Christian Barmore. And on a limited sample size, you see, you saw this with Quinton Williams in the year he broke out. And now you're seeing it with Christian Barmore, a guy with similar pedigree. I think this guy could go to the moon in 2020. Yeah, he is. he's a much better athlete than Marvin Wilson. And so he's listed at 6'5". To me, this is an Isaiah Bugs-esque listed at 6'5". If you remember Isaiah Bugs, he was listed at 6'5 for Alabama, the defense tackle a couple years yeah. ago. Came into the senior bowl at 6'2 and a half. Incredible. Literally two and a half more <laughs> inches on him. That's how I feel about Barmore. At no point have I ever looked at him and thought that that guy is 6'5", because he plays very well. But even for, give him 6'3", even if he's a 6'3 defensive tackle, he still plays with great leverage for a 6'3 defensive tackle. Uh, and, and you saw it early on. He was a DPR early on. Doesn't have a pass rusher early in the season this past year. You saw him dominating, uh, you know, unlimited sample sizes, 12, 15 snaps a game, just pass rushing snaps. Did really well in that. Then at the end of the year, he got his run, you know, to go play play rundowns, actually, and was similarly dominant there as well. Like I said, his ability to play with consistent leverage at his height is special. His ability to fire off low off the line of scrimmage is special, and he's a better athlete than Marvin Wilson. Like, he, if you tell me that – so Barmore is number two on our DT rankings right now, but it, it's not going to take too much. He, he sustains that level of play over the course of a full season – He's just a much better athlete, much more physically gifted than Marvin Wilson. You could see him push to DT1 very, very easily. Oh, absolutely. I, I would agree with that 100% because, I mean, on a small sample size, you see what he's done in the SEC playing at Bama. You give him more opportunities. I think he's going to shine um, this upcoming season. Talk to me about the other Florida State defensive tackle, Corey Durden, listed at six foot five, 313 pounds. I, I saw flashes from Durden. I did not see consistency, but... What's your opinion of him being more consistent uh, as a pass rusher specifically in 2020? That's the thing. This guy is ridiculously sloppy. Like, Corey Durden, so physically gifted. He's six, he's listed at 6'5", and I believe he's closer to 6'5". Like, he looks actually tall, uh, has good length to him. Uh, I think he actually will weigh in probably at least about 6'4", I guess, measuring at about 6'4". But, man, he's just... So up and down, all over the place. Uh, I missed a ton of tackles this past year. Missed 15 tackles. That's on absurd. 47 attempts. Missed almost a third of his tackles. Like, and that's just kind of who he is. He is just a bull in a china shop. Uh, but man, he has some reps where he just is absolutely murdering guys. Like he is another guy who's more physically gifted than Marvin Wilson. Very powerful dude for only a true sophomore. What he did last year. If you tell me he ends up being a better prospect than Marvin Wilson, I would not be surprised whatsoever because he has those high-level reps, but he has to get rid of the bad. Like so many reps on tape in the run game where he is just not playing with any sort of technique whatsoever, yep. trying to make plays, trying to try to shut off blocks when he has no business doing so, losing gap control, that sort of thing. So you see a lot of that bad on tape, but that's, that's a lot of young guys. Like that's, that's why a lot of football. freshmen. Yeah, that's, a lot, <laughs> that's why a lot of freshmen sophomores don't end up seeing the field is because they are sloppy is because they haven't gotten the consistency part of the game down yet that Calais Campbell talked about how that's so important to playing high level football. It's the high level reps though, that 
you can't teach that guys simply can't make that Durden makes somewhat routinely. He had the most of any of the defense tackles we're talking about in this, you know, on this podcast here, he had the most pressures, 45 pressures this past season. He played 721 snaps, barely came off the field. So a lot to like about him, but again, he needs to make some big strides in 2020. I mean, you can't, he's just not going to win with that sloppiness in the NFL. He's never, you're never going to be consistent. Yeah. You're never going to be consistent as a pass rusher, even as just a defensive tackle overall, playing the run, whatever it may be, you're never going to be consistent if you don't hone in on the on the on the technique element. But like again, it comes back to that stuff we keep bringing up on this podcast. If you see it, if you see it, even in those limited high end reps, that's better than not seeing it at all. You know, like seeing yeah. those high end reps and seeing what he's capable of. Because I mean, this guy's a former three star, four star recruit, and and come, comes in and when you see those high end reps, talk about winning early in the play. There's a handful of reps I think late in the season. Um, where you see him kind of win with a quick move over the top. But, like, that is the high end you want. How do you get more of it? How do you get more of it? Is it more film study? Is it, you know, more technique? What what does he need to get better at? And, again, it comes back to some of the discussions we've had where, like, evaluating talent can is maybe sometimes easier than developing talent. And developing Corey Durden, I think, is where the the tall order is going to be, whether it be this year or when he goes to the NFL. Like, you need to develop that player if you're going to get high end, the same high end that you see in splashes, if you will, uh, in the NFL level. All right, jumping to Levi and Wuzurike. This was in 2018 or 2019. I remember you were highlighting him before the 2019 season as a guy that only played 189 pass rushing snaps in 2018, 26 pressures, an 82.5 pass rushing grade, expecting him with a with more opportunity in 2020 to kind of or 2019 to take a step forward. Ended up only earning a 78.6 pass rushing grade on 278 snaps, pass rushing snaps, 31 total pressures. What what do you think went into kind of him not taking that step forward? Well, I, I think it's easier to rush the passer on smaller sample sizes. Like it, yeah. it is easier the fresher you are to give max effort every time you're on the football field. And, and I will say he was still a guy who was, even when he was producing 2018, super raw, he was producing off of the fact that he might be the most explosive defense tackle in the country. Like he, his combination of just get off and agility is as good as it gets uh, among any DT in the nation. He has that part of the game. He does not have the pass rushing this part of the game. He does not have the feel for playing defensive line part down. Uh, he's a guy, kind of the guy who, uh, who did I talk about this with this in this last year's class? I can't remember off the top of my head, but the guy who just is always reactive with his moves is never dictating the interaction. He's always responding to what the offensive lineman does. And it's always kind of a tick late. To respond, there's just not that innate feel for this is what the offensive lineman's about to do. Uh, I need to do this before you know. I need to fire my hands. I need to do X, X, and X before he gets his hands on me. He lets the offensive lineman get his hands on him, and then he has to respond. That's just who he is. He just doesn't seem like a guy who's played a ton of football at this point, and is you know you know develop that sort of sixth sense or whatever sense, seventh sense. I don't know to to Whoa. playing defensive line that it takes to, to be successful at, but he has the athleticism aspect down and he's still fairly productive even without that. But this is going to be a big year for him because you can't stagnate at that level for three straight seasons and expect to hear your name called highly in the NFL draft. And expect me to buy into that quote unquote upside. You need to improve and show improvement or else I'm not going to buy into the fact that you can improve in the NFL. I mean, if he doesn't take a step forward this year, it's obviously a huge concern. Like, you, yeah. like you need to see you need to see that improvement <clears throat> for how much he's played. You need to see improvement, especially going into the season. All right, Darius. I, I will say though about Anuzurike, 
One, he played over a third of his snaps at nose tackle. He is about 290 pounds. He is an undersized defensive tackle. That is not where he's going to be playing. That contributes to the fact that his grade probably didn't take a massive step forward. He was just not playing uh, an ideal role for him. He's going to be a three technique at the next level. And two, you see plays on his tape again to go back to. You got to see it. Some of them, he, he has plays where it's just other defense tackles aren't going to be able to make with his level just because of how athletic he is. There was a run inside zone run against Stanford where he is on the front side of the play at two technique over the front side guard. It goes all the way. The running back goes all the way backside out of outside of the offensive tackle to the opposite hash. And he makes that play. There just aren't defensive tackles who can cover that much ground in college football. He is one of them. So from that standpoint, I, I don't see his draft stock dipping too far below maybe like the third round. He's just never going to dip too far below that because what he can do athletically is pretty special. Can we talk about overall your your opinion of this interior defensive line class? I know we talked a little bit at, um, you know, outside of the podcast about how it's kind of a weaker class. It, it, would you agree with that or what, 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 where are you at with that? Yes, I do not like this defensive tackle class that much at the moment. Now, Marvin Wilson – I feel good about him in the first round. Barmore, I feel good about him there. But then after that, like I said, Musarike probably is like a third rounder. He's the fourth defensive yeah. tackle on our board right now. Like a, a third rounder at best. Durden is just a super sloppy guy. He's probably a third rounder also. There's just not that. Uh, usually you'll see six to eight DTs in the first two rounds. Uh, there's not even close to that at the moment right now, in my opinion. All right, let's jump to the West Virginia kid, Darius Stills. I I didn't come away super impressed with his tape. There are some stands for this kid, though. A lot of people I've seen like Darius Stills. I think there are a couple of games where you kind of see the flashes, but I still don't see the same high end I see with Corey Durden. I don't see the same high end that I've seen with some of the other guys here. I I don't know. I don't know if I've even seen what I want to see from Darius Stills to get really on board with him. He's got that Jarrell Casey body type where it's just like he's he's listed at 6'1", 282. He's probably like six foot and like he looks actually a little bigger than 282. He looks like six foot 290 or so. Like he has a crazy buy type for the defensive line of scrimmage. But that, if you know how to play low, you are going to win pretty much every leverage battle one on one. You're not going to be moved off the line of scrimmage a lot one on one. And he played a ton of nose tackle in that West Virginia front, 220 snaps at nose this past season. Uh, he knows how to play the run game at that size. And that's a big plus. Uh, the fact that he's already able to stack shed, get off blocks at six foot. You worry about guys that size being able to get off blocks. You've seen it already on his tape. The concerning thing for me with Stills is that there's no real rhyme or reason to his pass rushing game. He kind of just is a straight ahead charge at the quarterback. No <laughs> real moves. Like he knows that like it's just difficult to get him cleanly when he's rushing the passer because he is such a small strike zone four off the lineman to get their hands on. And so he just charges recklessly at the QB without much in the way of just like attempting to beat blocks. He kind of just knows that he has some explosiveness and that low center of gravity that that helps him push pockets and he has no real plan B. Uh, that's what he has to develop this season. I mean, I don't know if he can. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if yeah. he does develop that because I mean, looking at last year, I think he kind of just bought into the idea. I mean, you talk about defensive tackles that buy, like know their strengths, know their weaknesses. I could push the pocket somewhat with like, you know, lack of date, not, not, not a deep pass rush move, like a pass rush moves belt or whatever the hell we're getting yeah. into here. But like, 
playing the run, yeah, toolbox, playing the runs, stuff like you do see the low center of gravity. I just wish we saw more. Again, it's like you're getting to the fifth guy we're talking about in this defensive mm-hmm. tackle class, and you're talking about him as like a primary run defender with very, very little yeah. pass rushing upside. Like that, that concerns me. Also. I will say he's going to be a senior. He barely played as a freshman, 310 snaps a sophomore, looked like a completely different guy from 2018 to 2019. Uh, from a grading perspective and just like what you saw in film as pass rusher. So that in and of itself is encouraging. He's already made those strides. He's already gotten so much better over the course of his college career. We'll see how he does this next year. Jumping to Malik Herring. He mostly played edge defender for Georgia this past year. He's that classic big edge defender coming out of Georgia. You know, I, talking to some of the guys that we've had conversations with in the past coming out of Georgia, they they play the run. They play to stop the run. Yes. They practice it. They have these practices called like bloodbath practices where they just stop the run all day long in full pads. This guy played over 100 snaps at edge outside the tackles, over 100 snaps head up on uh, head up on the tackle. Um, even played, you know, left outside end and left in, uh, right outside end. So, but projecting at 6 foot 3, 280 pounds, will kick inside at that at the next level, 3-4 defensive end type. Not a, another guy where you're you don't come away super impressed with what he can do as a pass rusher. Like I I, I didn't come away super impressed with what he can do as a pass rusher. He's not that athletic, is the biggest problem with him. So six three, two eighty, you're thinking twitchy. Like you're thinking this guy to play defensive tackle in the NFL better be I don't want to say Aaron Donald, but you better be at least like quick off the ball. And he is not. Like that is nope. not who he is. He's much more on the Trey Flowers end of the spectrum in that. He wins because he is, is so – he's the opposite of Corey Durden. He is so extremely consistent with his hand yes. placement. He is – every time he is putting his hand into your shoulder pads as an offensive lineman and dictating every single interaction that he is a part of. He is so good at that. And he had a great grade this past year, 90.5 grade. He wasn't a, really a full-time starter until down the stretch in SEC play. Had a monster game against Baylor – uh, in their bowl game, uh, was that the Cotton Bowl? I don't know. Uh, I would recommend to anyone you want to watch some Lee Caring. That's the best game to watch from him. He is so consistent with that. But again, like you said, he is more of an edge defender at this point. And that's kind of, I think, was the biggest turning point for him uh, with Georgia was last year they used him more on the interior. This year they realized, hey, his skill set's probably best uh, playing on the edge just outside of the offensive tackle. Uh, he is probably going to be like a base 4-3 defensive end or 3-4. And playing over the offensive tackle consistently is where he's at his best. Don't really want him on the inside. But he's he's just very good in, in at, like I said, his hand placement and being doing executing his role on every single play. And while he doesn't have high-level pass rushing reps that much, he is, again, very consistent and has a number of pass rushing moves at this point. So he's kind of a guy who, if you get him – just in the third round, you just feel very good about your pick. You're going to get a guy who is going to be a solid football player for you. You're never going to have to worry about Malik Herring not doing what he's supposed to do, being out of place, not executing his role. That's He's, he's just a very safe sort of pick. But I, I, he's not a guy who with a monster sort of 2020, you're not pushing him in the first round. I just don't see that ever really being the case. Yep. All right. Jumping to Jay Tufele, the USC defensive tackle, former four-star, former five-star in some spots. I know some considered him a five-star coming out. Did has not graded well so far, but still a very yeah. young, still a very relatively young player. An 81.0 overall grade in 2018, and then a 73.7 overall grade this past year in 2019. What's your opinion, Tufele? 
Yeah, so he's going to be a redshirt junior this upcoming season. So he could have declared after last year, but he's just not that strong. Like he lacks, he plays really high, and that's kind of he has one move as a pass rush. Really, he he goes for the swim move again and again. When it when it hits, it looks great because he is quick. Yeah, uh, yeah, off the ball, he has that aspect to his game. That's probably why he was a five stars because this dude can move for a six three, three hundred and ten pounder. He can actually move. But like I said, he plays so high, does not play with consistent leverage whatsoever. It's not like a power aspect to his game, really. And so I was really concerned about his balance coming from the 2018 season, to the 2019 season. I thought he cleaned up some of those negative reps, some of those bad reps, some similar to he was a guy similar to Corey Durden, who I was just like, he's all over the place. Like this is a guy who just looks ridiculous on some reps. Cleaned up that to some degree, but then you didn't see him ever take it to the next level in terms of his dominance. There just really was not dominance on his tape. So with all his athletic tools, he's really going to need to show me something this upcoming season, although he does have, I believe, two more years of eligibility. You know who he kind of reminded me of? Um, Eddie Vanderdose. Do you remember Eddie yes, Vanderdose? Yeah, I like that. He, uh, he, he, looks so, he reminded me a lot of Eddie Vanderdose. And, like, there were a couple reps on Vanderdose's tape, especially, like, I think it's like – and he was a highly regarded recruit, freshman or two sophomore, whatever it was. But like, oh, man. This guy might have it. Like, this guy's got some special athleticism for his size, but, like, still was always – like, balance was but Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, consistent. The balance aspect is very um, – yeah. But, yeah, so Eddie Vanderdose is the name that came to mind when I was watching his film. But um, I – again, like, that, the, the improvement he needs to make is, like, very big. Like, that – like, you need to get a lot better if you're trying to be consistent and you're trying to, like, grade well and according to PFF grades. All right, jumping to one of my favorites in this class. This guy is a hoss. Six foot three, 346 pounds. I, 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 we hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. Fun to watch. I mean, when mm. you turn on this guy's tape, the beefcake in the middle at LSU, Tyler Shelvin, is an absolute treat when you turn on the tape. Played n- predominantly nose tackle, 317 snaps at nose tackle this past year, which is kind of, and that's at true nose, head up on the center, yeah. zero technique. Like that is, you know, talking to Damon Harrison, big snacks, like that's the role that he was playing, that big monster dictate the line of scrimmage, eat up blocks role. And and you saw that. Like this is one of the few guys that when you turn it on, a lot of the times, first time I'm turning on tape, you're kind of looking at pass rushing grades and, and looking at pass rushing snaps. I was like, you know what? With this guy, I'm starting the run. He's 350 mm-hmm. pounds and he's just a beefcake. And I think you saw some, yeah, I mean, he plays his role well. Six pressures last year. Six pressures <laughs> on 317 pass rushing snaps. You know what you're getting from him as a pass rusher at Zilch. What you are getting, though, and it, what does have positive value is his play against the run, an 88.3 run defense grade this past year. Shelvin, again, impressive. This guy, quintessential nose tackle. Like yes. This is built from <laughs> scratch. Nose tackle. We talked about Chase Young being like how you build an edge defender from scratch. This is how you build a run-first nose tackle. That's how you build a like sumo wrestler from scratch. Oh, yeah, sumo wrestler. Like, perfect. Perfect comparison there. His and the thing about him is like his flexibility for a guy who's 350 pounds. He has reps where like his ass is almost touching the ground and he's got a hand in an offensive lineman's chest and then sheds a block. Like he can get so low for a guy like that. Ne- you worry about heavier dudes playing high, getting bad knees, that sort of thing. He, he doesn't play high whatsoever. He is low snap after snap. On 247 run plays last year, he only had 19 downgrades. For comparison, Corey Durden had 55 downgrades on 291 run snaps. Marvin Wilson, the guy who's our DT1, he had 20 on 213. So more on fewer run snaps last year. This guy just does not lose in the run game 
that often. A true, and that's as a true sophomore on this past season. He is a, like I said, a quintessential nose tackle, a block eater, space eater, whatever you want to call it. He has that. And then the thing about the pass rushing, and yes, he only had six pressures, but I don't think he's completely going to be inept in that regard. Like he is not a guy who's never going to push the pocket whatsoever. It's just right now he rushes the passer. Like he plays run defense. Like he he's, <laughs> there's no, there's no pass rushing to it. It's like, go engage block. Oh, like now go shed block. It, it's not, he is not uh, actually attempting even to rush the passer, but I think he has some of the power and some of the quickness. Uh, I can't believe I'm even saying that just 350 pounds has some of the quickness it takes to be able to rush the passer. So I think that could be a part of his game that really and similar, like a, like a Damon Harrison, where it was like Damon yeah. Harrison was never like complete liability. If you want needed him to rush the passer, he, he will, he would give you some, this guy can do that. I think at the next level. Yeah. I'd like to see that. I mean, I would <laughs> like to see him just like, you know, approach more third downs with like a different mentality. Yeah. Different approach with like, yeah. yeah. Just like come after, like, get after it, go after the you know quarterback, whatever it may be. Regardless, you're getting a, a fat run uh, defensive tackle play the run. I mean, Steve Palazzolo talks about it all the time. It's like, on day three, get your premier run stuffing defensive tackles. I I, I could get on board. He, he's not lasting the day three though. This guy. You think I he's going to be? A- I bet he's the day two pick. Quite. I, I'd feel pretty confident in that. Gotcha. All right. Uh, this last guy, I I came away kind of impressed with his tape. Jalen Twyman of Pitt. I thought had some reps where I was pretty impressed. Listed it right now, six foot two, two hundred ninety pounds. Pass rushing grade wasn't great. Thirty six pressures, a seventy one point three pass rushing grade. But there were a couple of reps where I came away pretty impressed with what he could do at the line of scrimmage as a pass rusher. Am I wrong there? Am, am I wrong to be impressed with some of the te- the reps there? No. So he has very he's got very refined pass for skill. Like he has some very nice he, he executed the cross chop the infamous the one uh like the aaron donald outside yeah. pass rushing move obviously pit aaron donald even wears the same number as donald did at pit maybe i'm lying here but uh executes that move like he has a number of different pass rushing moves the concerning thing is to me is that he has those but only graded out 71.3 pass rushing grade it didn't grade out particularly well now, people are hiring him because the 11 sacks, but he only had 36 total pressures. So that's a, yeah. I would expect that sack total to decline seriously this upcoming season. Sack regression. Uh, and he is up well undersized, uh, a three-tech body, 6'2", 290, an undersized defensive tackle. And he's not, in my opinion, close to the athlete that some of these other guys are. I, I just did not see athleticism. If you're undersized and not athletic, said it before and a number of pretty much any position in the nfl that's a bad combo yep if you're undersized and don't have that especially if you're playing interior defensive line you're undersized and you don't have that noticeable explosiveness noticeable like oh man off the snap this guy's got juice and you don't even went in his wins i think the cross shot you're talking about i think came against uh virginia tech was one of them and you see like he didn't come off the line of scrimmage hot but he just executed a really good cross job to get yeah. by the defensive tackle. It reminds me of some of the other edge defenders we talked about on the previous podcast, guys that like have good pass rush moves, like the Duke guy, but like not necessarily, you know, not necessarily has the size or the tools that you want from him. He needs to get bigger or whatever it may be. But interesting enough, I, I still like him because of the pass rush moves. Pass rush moves are hard to learn. It's easier yeah. said than done. He reminds me of, yeah, Draymond Jones kind of coming out. Draymond Jones, oh, not nice. a good athlete yeah. by any means, was undersized. But yeah, you had those pass reps. And you have those, yeah, you have those reps and it's just like, I, you don't quite feel great about it in the NFL, but you're, 
you take a chance at some point, but you don't know exactly what it's going to end up looking like because of just how middling and undersized they are. Uh, and that I, I think Draymond take. Jones has kind of struggled to see the field because of his size for the Broncos. That is, that is a fantastic take. Draymond Jones is a good example of an undersized defensive tackle that has splash reps on tape because he knows how to you know, pass rush and has pass rush moves available, mm. but is still undersized and not the athlete he needs to be to consistently see the field and consistently win as a pass rusher. That is a take I want to take home with me. I love that. All right, moving. That is going to do it for the defensive tackles. We're wrapping up next week. We are going to dive into linebackers, and Mike's got his boy Nick Ballore coming on. Form, is he a, currently a free agent? No, he's a fullback for the Seahawks, but he was currently a former a, linebacker. Yeah, currently a fullback for the Seahawks, but formerly a linebacker. He'll have some some good stuff to talk about this upcoming linebacker class. This linebacker class is actually pretty good. Like Micah Parsons to start. I think there's some oh, yeah. names that I kind of like in that one. Uh, the Missouri guy, Bolton, is, is another one. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk linebackers next week. Till then, here is the Damon Harrison interview with Big Snacks. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former New York Giants and Detroit Lions defensive tackle Damon Harrison. I'll add this too: PFF legend Damon Harrison has <laughs> graded so well, or big snacks, if you will, has graded so well for PFF, specifically in the run for quite some time. I want to say we were the first kind of company putting you on the map a bit in terms of what you were doing against the run, because I don't think at least right. five, ten years ago, the NFL was not looking at run defense the best way it was like tackles and tackles for loss that was like the best mm-hmm. statistic you could come up with but like in terms of like beating blocks shedding blocks penetrating the backfield that's where the grade really came into play so it's great to have a legend a pff legend on the podcast it's great to have you on oh <laughs> uh, thank you guys for having me man i appreciate the compliment uh, so on this podcast we really look at you know evaluating nfl talent and college talent and looking at like the progression and how they how they develop and all that stuff i want to start and talk to you specifically about kind of your jump from the collegiate level, you know, playing at William Penn, going to the NFL, like that must have been a monster transition yeah. from a level of talent perspective, all that stuff. What would you say was the biggest kind of learning curve or the, the biggest transition for you? Obviously, like the game gets faster. Everyone speaks to that and like the talent level, all that stuff. But what do you think the biggest hurdle was for you going from, you know, obviously a small school to the NFL? Uh, well, it was the mental side of it, the um, the amount of meetings, the uh, the total amount of hours we put in off of the field, which I had no idea before I got there. I was thinking just like, you know, everybody else, that it was just all about football. You know, we go to practice, we lift weights, um, you know, may do some film correction, and that's it. But I want to say about 90% of our time is spent in the classroom. So just getting used to the amount of hours we put in on the, you know, on the mental side was the 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 toughest part for me so even so speak more to kind of what you're doing in the classroom is that like learning you know defensive scheme understanding opposing opposing offenses what exactly are you going over off the field so much well it just depends on the situation if you have a new head coach or new coordinator anything um then they're trying to get everybody in tune with their system so you're watching uh old film you know old tape maybe last year's tape or the best, the best year uh, that defense has statistically. You're watching that tape, and uh, if you're a guy like myself, then he may have had somebody that's uh, comparable to you and what you're going to be doing in the system. So they try to show you exactly what they want, and um, and pretty much just drilling that in into you. But if it's if it's a, a coach that you've played with before or a coach that's coming back, then it's just more of the same. Watching what you did last year, trying to correct what you did wrong and uh, improve on some stuff that you can improve on. So the popular adage is that draft slot doesn't dictate 
success, but it does dictate in the NFL your opportunities that you get. Mm -hmm. Did you find that going to the Jets year one when you barely played as a rookie, only 22 snaps? Year two, you were the highest graded defensive tackle in the NFL in terms of the run game. Did you find it difficult to break through and get an opportunity there in New York? Oh, 1,000%. Because when I got there, they had just signed Sione Puha, who was one of the best nose tackles in football, Mm -hmm. uh, especially against the run to an extension. They had just drafted Kenrick Ellis, I think, in the second or third round the year before I got there. Um, and they had Martin Tevaseo, who was the, kind of the third defensive tackle uh, on the team. So, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be hard for me because of the, you know, the business side of it, as well as, you know, guys who was drafted higher, who was, who was uh, going to be afforded opportunities before I was. And rightfully so. Um, it's a business and they want return on investment. So I, it took me a while to understand that side of it. But, uh, yeah, um, I knew what I could do. But to be honest with you, my first year, I wasn't ready until about maybe mid-season. Okay. So had I been afforded or given that opportunity earlier in the year, I don't think it would have been good. And it probably uh, would have hurt me more than it would have helped me. So in a way, it was, it was a good and bad thing. We spoke to kind of like your dominance against the run on the open, but I mean, to speak more to it is six straight seasons of 90.0 or elite run defense grades, according to PFF. And, and what, what goes into that? Cause I mean, playing the wrong playing run defense is just a lot, you know, a lot goes into it in terms of understanding, you know, the opponent run scheme, all that stuff, standing blocks, you know, eating up blocks. I get, what, what do you think helped you or, or paved the way for that sustained success against the run? Cause I mean, it's just, it's way easier said than done. Right. I mean, not only, you know, what I pride myself on uh, as far as hand placement, uh, having an attitude, because attitude is the is the biggest thing that I feel like you need yeah. in order to be uh, dominant against the run. Um, but I attribute a lot of my success to Coach Carl Dunbar. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line coach now. Um, everything that I've done throughout my career has is, is been exactly what he's taught us. Um, which is why we had some success in New York uh, with the Jets, with our defensive line. Um, Everybody was just a product of what he taught. And um, I just took it to heart. But, I mean, I just pride myself on not not staying blocked. Um, Coach Dunbar had a saying that it's not a sin to get blocked. It's a sin to stay blocked. So um, I just worked my butt off and my tail off just not to stay blocked. Everybody gets paid in the NFL, so you're going to get blocked on some plays. But um, you try to win more than you lose. It's rare, though, to see guys sustain dominance in the run game for that long. Big fellows like you, uh, like Linval Joseph, guys who have had their peak, it doesn't seem like they stay at that for too long. But you have been there for six years now plus. What do you think is attributed to that? Or is it just you're, you're just a rare breed and no one's going to be able to replicate what you, you ended up doing? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say that. Um, but it's just I knew what I was good at early, and I just tried to perfect it. Um, I still don't think I've perfected it, but, you know, a lot of times guys get lost trying to do too much or trying to be somebody they're not. I knew early I wasn't going to be Aaron Donald. Um, you know, I wasn't uh, the big guy in Pittsburgh. I wasn't a lot of people. I knew I could only find what I was good at and try to master it, and I think I have did that to the best of my ability uh, so far. I, I still think I have a, a long ways to go, and, um, you know, but it's just attitude, man. I'm, I'm I'm a type of guy that don't take no for an answer. I work my butt off in practice, um, and I take what I do on the practice field to Sunday. So 
and year in and year out, I've, I've always been worried about losing my job, losing my position, which has kind of kept me on the edge. Um, that's something I came into the NFL with, and uh, I still carry that chip on my shoulder to this day. I haven't gotten complacent. So I think that is the, the biggest factor, uh, not getting complacent. Still a long ways to go. What are your plans for this upcoming season? Do you plan to kind of uh, – do you have any plans right now in terms of who you want to sign with, that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I have a good idea of um, – you know, if I had to make a choice today, I know where I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff going on right now, man. And I just welcomed a, a baby girl here last month on the thirty first. Um, we have twin boys who just turned one, and I also have a two year old who's about to be three here soon. And uh, you know, I'm just with this whole COVID thing, pretty much yeah. pretty plainly. I don't know how the NFL is going to handle it. Um, I kind of want to watch and see. Um, because I have kids here with respiratory issues. I don't want to be able to, well, I don't want to bring any of that into my home and uh, affect them. So really, um, it's just a wait and see how the NFL handles the COVID situation. I would say, would you take a full year off if there, if there was, if it, the coronavirus, this, the cases are still blowing up and you wouldn't feel safe playing out on the football field? Definitely, definitely. Um, for, for, I'm not so much as worried about me, but my family, for my mm-hmm. family's safety. And um, I think if the NFL does do what the NBA is uh, doing, uh, you know, the whole going to Orlando, being in a bubble thing, I think that would be tough because just being in training camp for two or three weeks, man, guys guys are ready to kill each I'm sorry, guys are ready to kill each other. Um, so if you had to go through the entire season, uh, you know, with no family and just around the guys as much as you love them, man, I think that's just going to backfire. So. Yeah, I am willing to uh, take a year off just to, you know, let the dust settle and um, see how everything playing out. I don't want to. Um, that's not the plan. But, again, I have to worry about the safety of my family first. Those bubble fights would be quite, quite interesting in training camp. If everyone was kind of stuck in the same place. For the NFL, right. that, would be, that would be crazy. I want to get back to you more and talk right. about um, some of who you think are the best defensive linemen in the game right now, specifically at the position you play, interior defensive line. Obviously, you have, like, the, the Aaron Donald types, guys that can get up, go quickly, penetrate quickly, and rush the passer. But who do you think, from a similar breed to you, these guys that really play the run well, know how to eat blocks, who do you think some of those best types are in the NFL right now? Uh, Pierce. Um, mm-hmm. First guy that comes to mind. Um, Reader, uh, the former Texans. Yeah. Um, oh, man, some of these guys are going to kill me. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you threw, How can you, you mention Pearson, not Brandon Williams? Pierce and Brandon Williams, uh, or just yeah, yeah, no, Brandon Williams. Mm-hmm. But Brandon has been more of the uh, the three technique defensive end type, sure. right? The, the big end, the big end. I'm talking about just the guys, the true nose tackles, um, you know, the full time nose tackles. So now, nah, if, if Brandon's included in that, one thousand percent, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much credit to those 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 big guys in Baltimore, man, because they I haven't Baltimore hasn't been too kind to me over my uh, the course of my career. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the first two that that pop up as far as the young guys. Um, man, Dalvin Thomason has has the opportunity to be really really good if given the opportunity um, to to maximize what he does well. Um, as well as Ashawn Robinson. Ashawn Robinson, to me, is a true nose tackle. And um, he'd be the most athletic nose tackle in football if he was given the opportunity to be exclusively a nose tackle. Um, 
Yeah, man, that's a great, great question. Oh, man. Some good names in there, though. I don't think you left too yeah. many out. That was pretty good. What, what about the flip side of that? Who do you think some of the best offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen are right now? Some of the guys that you've gone against. Ooh. Um, I really like the young kid in, in uh, Indy. Uh, is it Nelson? Nelson. Yeah. Nelson, yeah. Nelson, I really, really love his game, man. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Alex Mack fan. Huge, huge. Uh, Frederick, before he retired down in uh, Dallas. Um, uh, Hudson, Rodney was a, a, a always a challenge for me. Uh, Eric Wood as well, before he retired. We're talking about uh, just overall, but um, currently it's just it's a different breed of offensive linemen coming in now, man. All these guys can run; they're big, they're fast. Um, as opposed to when I came in, it was a handful of guys who, you know, were big, you know, uh, fast and were smart. So you know, now I think it's 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 coming to where it's a combination of all three, and it's being more frequent um, that we're seeing guys that can potentially be all pro or, or even Hall of Famers at the offensive line level. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. I want to put you on the spot here with that question, though. I want you to one guy who gave you the most fits in one single game in your entire NFL career, who really one, gave it to you. One single game? Yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> I, know, I know you got something in the back of your mind there that you like, don't <laughs> yeah, really no, want to say, but no. I have. I have. I can't really say one, man. It's it's three. Okay. All right. It's it's Frederick down in Dallas, Eric Wood in uh in Buffalo, Buffalo. and Alex Mack. Uh to me, Alex Mack was the best offensive lineman I ever played uh played against. Wow. And uh also going against Nick Mango every day in practice was no easy feat. <laughs> that wasn't an easy yeah. task. Um so yeah, a combination of those guys. I can't really give it okay. to one man because they they all were different, but if I had to choose one, mm. oh man, it uh it'll be Frederick. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Another question I had too, and it's it's talking about like interior defensive line. There's been this pressure for interior defensive linemen to no longer be kind of just like bigger run defenders, but more the Aaron Donald types, guys that can really attack, you know, attack the quarterback and get after the quarterback. You know, I think that speaks to also what you're seeing with, you know, how offensive linemen are changing, how they're more athletic, they can move. Do you think that's where the NFL is going is, are the Damon Harrisons of the world, you know, going away because everyone wants to get faster. Everyone wants to get slimmer along the defensive line across all, all, uh, all positions. Really? Do you think that true nose position that is a bigger guy, not as athletic as an Aaron Donald, do you think that's going away or is it maybe just for some defenses? I'd be interested to know like with where the NFL is going past happy league, athletic league. I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. to know where your take is on that. I think so. Um, I don't think it's going away. I just don't think it'll be as more frequent. Um, Mm -hmm. And it depends on the division as well, um, because some of the smaller defensive tackles won't do well in some of the divisions where, you know, running the ball is a priority. Um, And I think it's it's another case to where, like I just said, teams are trying to play catch up with the offensive linemen now. Um, You know, you don't necessarily need the bigger defensive tackles anymore because the offensive linemen are getting smaller. Uh, they're getting quicker. Um, so, but if you can get a smaller guy who can uh, kind of do, you know, play the run and uh, and is really good against the pass, and you can get by. But you also see teams struggling um, towards the latter parts of the year and into the playoffs when 
you know, the conversation is if they had a bigger defensive tackle or a defensive lineman that could play the run really well, then they would have had some success. So it's kind of um, – it's a catch-22 with that. I mean, it's a lot of positives, but it's a lot of negatives when you go smaller as well. And it's just, you know, how's your defense built? Is, you, is your offense built enough uh, around it? Is it built around it enough to where they can, you know, kind of cover up some of those deficiencies? And um, I'm sure you can name a couple teams that this past year, this playoff, that if they would have had a bigger defensive tackle, they would have had some success. Absolutely, Packers. <laughs> the Packers. Mm-hmm. That's a good. Yeah. That's um. a good example for sure. Um, well, Damon, I really appreciate you coming on, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Especially, you know, with your yeah, new children coming in the mix, definitely, you know, um, wish you the best of luck with those and this NFL upcoming season. Whether or not you choose to play, um, mm-hmm. best of luck. You have had a fantastic NFL career so far, and we hope thank to you, see it thank continue. You. <laughs> Thanks yes, again, sir. Damon. Appreciate Have a good one, it, man. Yep. Thank you guys for having me.